you could uh, turn to page 728. We'll read from Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And we couldn't have had a better song to preface this uh, reading. In some ways, we're asking for Jesus' hand because we need it and we're desperate. We run into someone else now that is desperate also. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear and to be healed from their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Her principal called her smart and charming. And a boy had just invited 15-year-old Irish immigrant Phoebe Prince to the winter cotillion, the height of the social season at South Hadley High School in Massachusetts. But then police received a call. It came from one of Phoebe's sisters. When the cops arrived, they found that the freshman student had hung herself two days before the big dance. Though they're not releasing any details, police say she was a victim of cyberbullying from girls at the school who had unspecified beef with her over who she was dating. This wasn't just any case of high school girls behaving badly toward one another. Phoebe apparently faced an onslaught of bullying via texts, Facebook messages, and in person at the school. Even after her death, these girls left disparaging messages on a Facebook page created in her memory. Can you imagine? Like they, they promote her death, and then after she kills herself, they write nasty things about her on a Facebook page that was dedicated to her memory. Apparently, the young woman had been subjected to taunting from her classmates, mostly through the Facebook and text messages, but also in person on at least a couple of occasions, school superintendent Gus Sayer told the Boston Globe. Two students have already been suspended, and more could be on their way to discipline. I would think. It was an especially tragic ending for the Prince family. Anne O'Brien Prince and Jeremy Prince had moved from County Clare, Ireland to Massachusetts with their five kids last year. In Phoebe's death notice, they said they were moved in part so that Phoebe could experience America. America, it seems, did not give her a very kind welcome. You know them from your own high school. They were the pretty girls who played sports, were in cheerlead, and used their good looks to date all the name-brand jocks. Phoebe Prince wasn't one of them. She was a freshman, had just arrived from Ireland. No way was she cool enough. She also had the misfortune of briefly dating a senior football player. The popular girls thought she didn't know her place. So they stalked her. They called her names right to her face over the phone 
and on Facebook. She was walking home the day she died when one of the vile girls drove past. The girl chucked an energy drink at Phoebe out the window and threw more insults this new girl's way. Phoebe promptly walked into her house and hanged herself in a closet. I can remember in grade eight watching David Dye beat up Lon Mathis. Lon Mathis was the school counselor's son. David Dye was a national championship boxer. And I remember watching David pound on Lon Mathis. And I can remember the day that Jerry York, who a few years later was second in the state of Oregon and wrestling in the light heavyweight class and was the middle guard on the football team, thrash Dane Van Est after school one day. Dane was a tall, slender kid. Jerry was shorter than he was, although still big and stocky. And I can remember Jerry continually hitting Dane on the chin with, uh, with right-hand blows. I mean, I don't know how many there were, but there were a bunch. And he just kept hitting him, and Dane just kept taking it and standing there, and Jerry would hit him again. And finally, I think Jerry just quit because pff, what are you going to do? You hit the guy that many times. We live in a society where sometimes those kinds of things happen. These were not uh, fair fights. The fact is that these girls in Boston and David Dye and Jerry York were bullies. They were simply bullies. And I know that because, at least in the case of David and Jerry, they had hit me. I remember what it was like to get hit by those guys. Well, why does it happen? This bullying thing. And the sermon's not actually about bullying. I think it happens out of fear. I think that bullies are scared to death that somehow, if they don't do something to make themselves known, to enforce their place, that they're going to lose their place. In fact, they may find that they have no place. And so bullies, I think, tend out of fear to exert their physical presence on others because they have no other options. They're afraid of what might happen if they don't. They've got no other recourse in their lives except to find someone else to pick on. And so it's an attempt, I think, to maintain social status. Now that's what bullies do, but not all of us are bullies. And so we do other things. I can remember walking on my way to school behind the Mormon church. I was going through the Mormon parking lot on the way to to school. And Mike Perkins kind of appeared out of nowhere and wanted to walk with me. And so Mike and I were walking along to school. I was in grade eight. And on the way, all of a sudden, Mike says to me, Kelly, when you and I are walking along like this to school, he said, you're really friendly to me. But when we get to school and we're around everybody else today, you won't be. 
And he was exactly right. That was so true. That was exactly the way that I treated Mike. Why did I treat him that way? Well, I was concerned that somehow Mike's presence at school might bring me down. I think one of the hardest things there is in life, especially for teenagers, is to have to face this whole issue about confidence. And sometimes we have attitudes about other people, people maybe who are less fortunate than ourselves and they have a certain place in society and we have an attitude about them because we're afraid they're going to somehow bring us down. And so there are people that we reject. Isn't that true? Now I look at a, a group of young people over here or I could talk to teenagers about this. And it would be so much a part of their world. That's what it was when I was in grade 8. Unfortunately, it isn't just in grade 8 that it happens. It happens throughout society. It happens in your lives today. It happens in your workplace. There are some, some people who are just relegated to a position of less than acceptable status. Because we're afraid that somehow that might bring us down and out of fear we might treat them just like everybody else because we're afraid that we might be linked with them. Someone will think us the same. We'll maybe lose our social status. And I think that scares us. So those days aren't over. We'd like to think, but they're not. Well, I raise the story of social status because of the story that John just read. In the culture of Jesus' day, leprosy was the worst thing that could happen to a human being. It held an incredible stigma about it. We've heard stories, preachers like to say, that when someone had leprosy, they would have to walk down the street and say, unclean, unclean, so that no one would possibly run into them. So that those who are of the priestly class could go across the street and make sure that there'd be no ceremonial defilement of the priest at the hands of the one who is unclean. And so sometimes even those religious people, like ourselves, have the capability of treating others poorly because we're afraid of what this other person might do to us. It's like the aids of their day for this person with leprosy. But in this case, at least with AIDS, it's kind of politically correct nowadays to embrace those with AIDS. In that day, it wasn't politically correct at all. In fact, the politically correct thing, the religiously correct thing, the pure thing was to reject the person with leprosy and to treat them as not even a human being and so this person has the lowest status that there could be to get this kind of chronic skin disease was to be absolutely put out of your group and it wasn't just a social thing it was even a family thing if you are the child of a Jewish father and mother who developed something like this, how is your family going to relate to you? 
when they discover that you are in fact unclean? How is your synagogue going to relate to you when they find that you're going that you are in fact unclean? And so your family and your religious family are bound in this case by law and social strictures from having anything to do with you and you basically find yourself put out and the only ones who are going to accept you are who you can probably tell me who is it that is going to accept the leper other lepers of course that's all because everybody else in the society is going to have to reject them now all of this i think puts in context the story that is told here about what jesus does when you look at the words of the leper as he approaches christ and he sees christ coming he looks to jesus and says lord if you're willing you can make me clean now i don't think this was a question of well maybe on this day you might be in a good mood and you might decide to heal me i don't think that the leper is hoping that jesus will weigh out the yes i want to help him no i don't care and then decide for i care it's a lot deeper than that i think it's a lot more he's already seen jesus heal people i think he probably already expects that jesus cares he's already heard jesus preaching he's heard something about christ or he wouldn't be yelling at jesus the way that he does so when he says if you're willing if you want to i think that rather than just talk about whether jesus might be in a good mood to heal or not he's actually talking about are you going to treat me like everybody else you can see that i'm a leper you know that i'm an outcast you know that i have no status in society and i know that you're a religious teacher you're a rabbi i know that as a rabbi a religious teacher that you like all others would not be willing to have anything to do with me both on social and religious grounds but i want you to know or i want to know if you will and so it's not a question about jesus power or ability to help i think he can help and i think the guy knows this The leper is asking, are you willing to treat me differently from the way everyone else treats me? Are you just going to go along with the crowd because that's what's expected? Are you going to continue the pattern of making me the social outcast? Are you going to ignore me? Are you going to crush me? Are you going to try and assert your position as a teacher in our society the way all the other religious teachers like to assert their position? and put me down are you willing to not just reject me because of what i look like the way everyone else does can you please not look at me like everybody else are you willing to not just be concerned about your own social and religious reputation are you willing to risk what they're going to think of you 
If you help me, is it possible? Is it possible that you could love me? I want to be loved. I think that's what he was saying. It's not a question of, can you see I need healing? It's a question of, when you see how badly I need healing, will you still choose to touch me? And of course, Jesus does. And so in the context here, Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. That was absolutely a no-no. He totally risks being declared himself unclean and an unfit teacher of Israel. He shows himself in the process to be so different from the others. Jesus is not a bully. Jesus is not a social elite. Jesus Jesus is no protector of his status. Jesus doesn't make the leper lower by lifting himself up. He isn't afraid of getting leprosy or being linked with this person. Instead, Jesus views all people as having value. He's willing to take time for those who hurt. He takes a risk. He shows love without expecting anything in return. I think of this girl. Phoebe needed a Jesus. Phoebe needed a Jesus. What she needed was someone who not just had the the guts, but the character to stand up and face others and say, this is enough. I have thought many times about how much I would like to see Lon Mathis today. And I'd like to see Dane Van Est. And I'd like to apologize to them for standing by and doing nothing. You know, why, why didn't I yell at Jerry York or yell at David Dye and say, Hey! That's enough. You've hit him enough. Why didn't I do that? It's one word and you know it. Fear. (laughs) David Dye and I were in the same boxing club. He had hit me a lot. (laughs) I knew what it was like to be hit by him. And he could easily turn on me as easily as he was on Lon Mathis. And so out of fear, I didn't do anything. But I don't know if the physical pain was what I was really afraid of. What I think I was really afraid of is that if I stand up and say, Hey, don't hit Lon, David. 
that all of a sudden I'm Lon Mathis' friend. And if I go to Jerry and say, Jerry, come on, man. That's enough. You've hit Dane enough. All of a sudden I'm Dane's bosom buddy. And I didn't want that. I'm the one who on the way to school could be friends and on at school not friends with Mike. I am so grateful that our Jesus is different than that. I'm so grateful that Jesus, when he walked down the street, didn't decide to go to the other side because there was a man walking down the street saying, unclean, unclean. He made a different choice. I praise the Lord that he did. What this means for us, well, there are some obvious things, I think, for us to see in it. One, certainly Jesus has the power to heal. Aren't you glad that Jesus just had the power to heal that leper? Can you imagine what he did for that guy that day? Totally stigmatized out of every social circle. Not even the religious people could accept him in any way. And Jesus absolutely gives him a new lot on life. Everything was changed because Jesus had the power to heal and did it. He chose to transform somebody's life. I'm glad he did that. We, like Jesus, must have an attitude toward people that leads to our own reaching out, our own extensive caring. Because when you think about it, and you don't even have to think about it for more than a minute, you know and I know that there are people in your life that are somehow, in some minor way perhaps, mistreated by you. You know that's true. And I do too. I know it's true in my life. And that is simply not in line with the character of our Lord. Jesus wants something different from us. He wants us to have the kind of impact on the lives of people that he had. When it came to reaching out to that one who is excluded by all others, Jesus wants us to have an impact on that excluded one. And he shows us so well his example of the one who reaches in that direction. What a call there is in the example of Christ in this case. Now, you might think, well, what about number one, though? That doesn't really apply. And the answer, of course, is that it does. Number one totally applies. Because we have the ability to step into the lives of people who are on the outs of society and give them a completely new perspective on life by befriending them, by building relationship with them, by being there for them. And by being there for them, we can change their lives. You have the power to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is. That you can transform someone's life by willing to step into their life. 
Put yourself out there. Risk some. You may risk ridicule from those at work if you have a friend at work who is nobody else's friend. But you have power to change their life by taking the risk. Now these are the obvious things. Here are some things which I don't know these are quite so obvious. We need to look for the broken. It's one thing for the broken to find us. Isn't it true that many of us could have relationships with people who hurt in various ways because they'll come and seek you? They're lonely. They have incredible needs. They will seek you out. But are you looking are you looking for the broken? Because that's my sense about Jesus. Jesus did not wander around just waiting for people to come to him. But there are times in his life when he goes and finds people. You think of Jesus, the woman at the well. He didn't have to start a conversation with her. She was absolutely outcast. Nobody will even go to the well at the same time she does. She has to pick at a time when nobody else will go to the well. She goes alone and Jesus seeks her out and has conversation. She's shocked by it. You're going to talk to me, a Samaritan woman? She's blown away because Jesus chose to go and find her and talk to her. He sought her out and we need to look for those who are broken, not just wait for them. What a difference there is between someone who says, well, yeah, I guess I can be tolerant enough and patient enough and kind enough to to tolerate this person who's come to me. And someone who says, I seek out the broken. I think Jesus did the latter. The second thing is, Jesus has come to us because we are the lepers. Because we're the broken ones. You may not have a skin disease that will cause those around you to be repelled. But you have something in your life that is repelling. Isn't it amazing that God, when he looks at us, is not repelled by our sin? Like if there's anything more natural in the world than for God to be repelled by sin, I don't know what it would be. But instead of God looking at us and being so disgusted that he just has to turn away, we end up getting embraced. He ends up falling all over himself to love us to the point of giving us his son. Because he loves so much the broken ones. And I am one. So we need, I think, to seek out those who are broken. Because God, in his glorious love and grace, sought me out 
when I was broken. And I needed him so badly. And he came and he took my hand and he said, Kelly, I don't care if you treat Mike Perkins like that. And I don't care if you just stand alongside and watch other people get beat up. I don't care if you're rude. I don't care if you're mean. I'm going to embrace you anyway. And somehow, because Jesus did that for me, I'm going to have to find the capacity within myself to do those, that for those people around me who need Jesus so badly. And it won't be a sacrifice on my part. I'll do it because I love them the way that Jesus loved. After Rob and I got back from uh, our trip down south to see Ryan get married, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. He's been a friend for a long time. And he called and he said, Kelly, I've made a mess of things. I've got sin in my life that is just destroying me and it's going to destroy my marriage. I don't know if my wife is going to stay with me. And he told me the things he'd done. And I could have at that point said, she should reject you. She should leave you. But how would I have done that after what Jesus has done for me? And so I'm hoping that his life can be rebuilt. And you and I know probably all of us, hundreds of people who need to have their lives rebuilt. And all they need is some compassion and some care and someone to love them. And, and I kind of want to say this morning, church, are we going to be the ones? Are we going to be the ones who love like that? If we are, it's transforming. It will change them. It will change you. It will change all of us. I saw something on TV this week. It was just a line across the screen and it said something like, Go change the world today. And what we're talking about this morning would change the world. This morning I was sitting with 12 people. We were talking about life groups and what we want to see happen in our church. And I looked around and I thought, there's 12 of us here. You take 12 people and one son of God and the world could be changed. And we've got more than 12 and we've got the same son of God. Same power to heal. Oh, the world could be changed. God can do that among us. Will we let him do that among us?
Oh, I pray we do. Let's pray. Oh, God, I want to pray for Mike today. And I want to pray for Dane and for Lon and for this Phoebe and her family and all the other people who get rejected by society and sometimes God rejected by us. I want to pray, God, that they will find Jesus. I want to pray that our Jesus will be there in our presence and that we will reach out with our hands and take hold of them and let them know that they are loved, that we might have an impact in their lives because of you. God, we know that you still have the power to heal. You still have the power to change people's lives. Help us to exercise that power. Help us to exercise the love that you've shown us in Christ. And Father, we pray that our impact on the world, your impact through us on the world, would because of that be staggering. And thank you, God, for this wonderful story. Thank you for letting us listen to it today. I thank you that I could hear it today. Through Christ we pray. Amen.